0: understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer, this recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight, and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Howdy, podcast listeners. I hope you guys are doing well. Today's episode is gonna be a little bit different. I'm gonna be talking about what you need in order to recover, recover, but from your thoughts and opinions. So for context, before I get into it, I posted on Instagram last week, just to kind of be thought provoking. I don't know. Sometimes I ask questions just to see what people will say, because it's interesting. Okay. And I like getting feedback, but anyway, I posted on my story, what do you need in order to recover? And I was trying to see, what do people think that they need in order to recover? What do they feel like is the missing link for them? And it's on Instagram. And I tend to notice where I go. Now, this isn't everyone, but there's a certain theme with the people I talk to on Instagram. There's a theme with the people that I talk to on that find me directly from the podcast versus people on my email list is just interesting. So this might be more tailored towards Instagram people, whatever. But anyway, people said a lot of interesting stuff that I kind of wanted to respond to and give some feedback and give you ideas for what you might possibly need to work on in order to recover. So I hope you enjoy it. But I gotta say here, it's been raining. It's been like Seattle, Washington here, but it's Colorado and it's I'm in a dry part of Colorado. We're known for sunshine all the time. And the past two months, it's just been raining nonstop. And so I've been complaining a lot about it. Like, oh, I hate this rain. This is so annoying, blah, blah, blah. And then today it's been clear skies, clear skies, no clouds, no rain, but it's 90 degrees. And I was walking my dog. I walked him at 10, but we were both like, oh my God, it's so hot. And I started complaining about how hot it was. And I'm like, Jacqueline, you've been complaining for a long time now about all the rain. And now suddenly it's hot, it's what you want, and you're complaining. Humans can never be satisfied. It's just the nature of being a human being, right? It's gotta, there's this very small amount of parameter you can be satisfied with, and otherwise it's not gonna have it. Anyway, here's what people said. This one was interesting. This person said more people to understand how hard I'm trying, but also just how hard it is to stop. So this may on the surface level seem like, well, why do you need that to recover? but there is merit in finding a support group that understands you and understands what you were going through. And they, they express it. I'm trying to read her question really kindly. If I understand this person, I'm going to, I'm going to say what, I'm going to validate this person's beliefs here. I'm going to go through these things. I'm going to validate these people's beliefs, but then I'm also going to give a caveat of like what they need to look out for. Because the reason I did this also is to see what are people's limiting beliefs in their recovery. Like they think they need the silver silver bullet, right? This is what they think their silver bullet is. And commonly it's, it's a variety of things and it's not necessarily just this one thing that you need to change. But anyway, what this person's saying, more people to understand how hard they're trying and then also For people to understand how hard it is to stop this, it's probably because they're in an environment where people are constantly kind of dismissing them and they're judging them or they're not helping very well or not in the right way, or they're just thinking, come on, just stop. That's all it takes. When you're surrounded by a support group that understands and is giving you helpful feedback, you're more likely to participate and keep going and feel encouraged and accepted. Sometimes when people also, when they're very dismissive and they're not very supportive, it's almost like you want to stay in your eating disorder to screw them a little bit. Remember, this wasn't so much as an adult. As an adult, I was kind of like, I just need help. I want to get out of this, please. But when I was younger, I did also struggle with anorexia and bulimia in my early high school years. And I felt it made me feel a little bit special. And when people didn't know how to help me or they kind of knew that about me, it made me feel interesting. And it made me feel also like, this is my thing, and I wish people would know how to help me because they don't know how, how to help me. I'm going to keep on going with this. I don't know. It was this weird thing where it's like, this is something I can revert to, and this is something I can keep. And because they don't get it, I'm going to keep on going. I don't know how to explain it, but having people supportive around you who not only are trying to help you, but understand it's going to make you feel less crazy. It's going to make you feel like there is actual hope because you understand that there's people that have actually recovered before. They're giving you practical advice. They're not reacting to your stories as if, it's the end of the world. Like, I think mean, that's one of the valuable things I offer as a coach because I've been through bulimia myself when people come to calls with me and they say, Hey, I, Jacqueline, I binged and purged, or I overate some person on a consult today. So like I ate a whole bag of chips. Another person struggled with rumination. Like I'm never like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? It's like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. That's normal. That happens hear practical solutions to it. When you see another person react calmly to it, it just gives your mind ease. We're a social creatures, right? And it's helpful to have support. I mean, you can see someone else being calm. You can then mirror that behavior. If you see someone else panicking, then it's going to make you panic even more. There's just that res- mirroring type of behavior. So this person's valid. However, I do, the caveat I'd say to this or the, the, where I might think this person might be limited is, some people want everyone to believe in them before they can recover, or they want people in their lives, specifically their friends and family to completely understand them. And they think that once that's the case, then they can recover. And that's not true. I think what you probably need, of course, if these people are triggering you, you probably need to get distance from them, but I would recommend it's the best of your ability, trying to find self support, professional support. It's the best of all outside of your family and friends, because they're never necessarily going to get it unless they've gone through it. And even then, they haven't gone through it in the way that you've gone through it. They're emotionally attached to you. They're not your counselor. They're not your therapist. They're not your coach. They're not your dietitian. They are just people that care about you and are emotionally attached to you getting better for whatever reason. And that makes them more dramatic and less helpful. But don't think just because they don't have all the answers that you can't recover. I always want to say this with as much compassion as possible, but it's always your responsibility to recover. It's not your friends or family's responsibility to make you recover or know exactly how to help you. It's just like any relationship. You have to communicate your wants and needs. And of course, that person has to put effort into them too. But ultimately, every relationship, no one's going to meet your needs perfectly. You have to be the one that seeks out those needs. And if they aren't filling it, you can find other ways to fill it with either professional support, free online support groups. There are anonymous meetings you can go to. There's lots of available support for all means. So don't let this limit you in thinking, well, because my friends and family don't understand, therefore I can't do it. That's not true either. All right. What has someone else said? This person said, I I really don't know, kind of safety, not to gain weight or overeat. This one's a tough one, but I wanted to address it because it gets brought up a lot. People are like, I need a guarantee that I'm not going to gain weight, that I'm not going to overeat. And then I can drop, I'm assuming this person's saying I can drop behaviors. I can stop relying on purging. I can stop relying on restriction if I know that it's all going to stay the same. The biggest bubble bursting thing I can say is it's not going to stay the same. And maybe, I could be wrong, you know, some people, they have so much, I hate saying this because it's almost like I'm praising them, I'm not, but they have so much control when it comes to restricting that they're able to not gain weight. But the problem with those people is they never learn how to trust themselves with food without having very, very unhealthy, strict parameters around that food. And usually they still end up binging long-term because of that, or binging and purging. They're usually not able to get out of their eating disorder. But occasionally you can, but I usually find if people aren't willing to let, have a little wiggle room in some weight gain and some overeating, then they can't make as much progress because they're so limited by that. Now, on the flip side, I think what the eating disorder recovery does a poor, poor job of is the idea that you, you don't have to gain a ton and ton of weight. Sometimes you do in recovery and that happens and there shouldn't be any shame in that. But I feel like eating disorder recovery communities, they never talk about how to have healthy boundaries with food, how to moderate your food in a way that's not unhealthy or not damaging to your health or going to lead you back into your eating disorder. There's always like that if you just take a one look, there's a lot of coaches out there that are good. And there's a lot of people in the mental health field that are good and supporting this. But if you were just to go on the Instagram explore page of eating disorder recovery, kind of gives you the idea of never ever have boundaries for food Any amount of weight gain should always be okay. And whatever weight you land at at the end of your eating disorder, whatever food behaviors you have in the eating disorder should be what you're always accepting of. And I think that's unfair to people. We all have to learn to moderate certain things. I have a very addictive personality and I don't know if that's actually a thing. But it seems to be that I can get easily attached to anything and want to do it in excess. That seems to be my motto. Therefore, I must be careful with certain things that I have. Having just... Cakes all the time in my house. Like sometimes I'll have junk in my house, like before this. Before this recording, I was literally having a peppermint candy cane because it sounded good. I haven't; I, it's been in my cupboard since since Christmas, and I just had one today. Like I do have junk food, but having whole cakes just sitting out on the table all the time, not the best idea for me because I need to moderate that. Otherwise, I tend to overeat those things. So what I'm the reason I'm saying this is because you're worried about having safety to recover, making sure that you're guaranteed you're not going to gain weight or overeat. You probably will experience both those things in recovery because in order to recover you need to make mistakes with food and learn about them and also sometimes your body's compensating sometimes it's healing from the restriction and the damage that you've your eating disorder has done to your body whatever it is so overeating is most likely to happen it builds trust with you builds abundance with food and you see that nothing horrible happens and weight gain at least from bloating alone is likely going to happen especially if you were at a weight that wasn't healthy for you to sustain i'm sorry but on the flip side if at the end of your recovery, you feel like weight moderation is something that you need that is within your power to do so. And I never, ever tell someone that's not okay. I lost weight and I've gone through several different body recompositions since recovering. It's not like I don't work on my body. Everyone knows who listens to this for a long time. I go to the gym, I run. Part of it is maintaining the way I look right now and why I exercise. It's not the only reason. And I think if it were the only reason, that'd be bad. But I have since then edited my body since recovery. And I don't think that's wrong as long as it's not causing me damages in my life, mental health or physical. I won't sacrifice my health or mental health for vanity. And that's where the difference lies. So you're allowed to do that. And what I will also say is you're like, well, I don't want to gain weight. I don't really trust myself to gain weight and then lose it and all these things. Recovering from bulimia puts you in the best place to be able to manipulate your body in a healthy way. And I know that that might trigger some people, but when you're binge eating and you're binging and purging, your drive for food is so freaking high. It's like through the roof. It's all you think about. You obsess over it all the time. You're thinking about your next meal. I can't. I remember when I was going through bulimia, the first or third thought, I'd I'd still be in bed and I'd think, what am I going to have for breakfast today? What am I going to eat today? It was just the first thing in my mind. I was just so obsessed and I tried so hard not to eat food and then I'd break by 11 a.m., eat lunch. And then I feel like I already screwed up. I was supposed to intermittent fast that day. And then I'd be binging and purging around two or four o'clock in the afternoon. It's just a terrible time, but your drive for food and bulimia is so, so high. But when you actually take the time to be present with your emotions, feel your feelings, eat enough food, build that abundance with food, no one trusts that it's going to be there. Your desire for food goes back down to maybe what you consider a normal person's desire for food. I love food. I like it. It's great. I look forward to a good slice of cake or cheesecake and some fried chicken, whatever your junk food is. Like I still look forward to food. Don't get me wrong. But my my excitement for food is nowhere near what it is. And that allows me to, to moderate my food much more easily because there's no panic of it being taken away. I know I can have it. I know it's available. And I also know how to process my feelings and I know how to feel hunger and I know how to feel some longing for food and not necessarily need it within my healthy boundaries. And that's something I didn't have the ability to do when I was going through bulimia because I was so crazy about food. Recovery teaches the skills you the skills of delayed gratification. And managing your emotions, which directly apply to weight loss and any sort of, I don't know, any sort of goal you're achieving. What I didn't know about recovery before is that the skills I learned in recovery apply to every single area of my life and help me all the time with regulating urges that have nothing to do with food. But recovery helps you deal with urges and that will help you with weight loss down the road if that's what you decide to do. But I would say, I can't guarantee that you're not going to gain weight during recovery. That's pretty much a given for most people. How much weight? It doesn't have to be excessive. And if it is crazy excessive, unless it was you know necessary for your health, we'd probably you probably want to take a look at why that's happening. But Even if it does happen, trust yourself that it's not the end of the world and you will be okay on the other side of it. And you can always make choices for your health later on. It doesn't have to be this, you gain a hundred pounds or you don't gain a hundred pounds and you stay in bulimia. That's not the answer. Someone, someone said, I know they're kind of joking, but they were probably kind of serious. That someone who locks the fridge and ties my hand between main meals. So the what this person's lacking, which I totally get, I used to think too, like if someone could just lock me up and control my food intake and I never had access to food, my life would be a lot better. But that's not the reality. I have had clients where their husbands would keep a lock on the fridge with their partner's consent. And I had mixed feelings about this. One part, I've only worked with two clients where it's been that way. One, she always knew where the key was and the husband knew that. So she could always access it anytime she wanted, but it just was that extra barrier and it seemed to help her and she was fully consenting to it. The other client I had, she didn't necessarily, I mean, they made an agreement, but at some point, and she liked that agreement, it helped her stay in control. But then at some point when she felt ready to be able to not have the lock on the fridge at night specifically, her partner didn't feel comfortable taking that lock out, and that caused some friction, but eventually they did work it out, but I just, it made her feel very judged because he wasn't willing to take out the lock, and I think it feels a little bit demeaning, if I'm being honest. I know how it feels that if someone could just do this for me, but ultimately, unless you want to live a life that's constantly controlled by someone else, you want to try to figure out a way where you can actually be in control of your food without third-party interventions. And a thought experiment I always use with people, this is going to sound extreme, but it is helpful. And obviously I don't recommend this as a treatment option or a recovery solution. But I always ask people who are really lacking belief, I'll ask them, you know, if you were to stop binging in a moment, what would you do? And when they're kind of like, I have no idea what I, what I would do. I always like to ask someone, hey, if I were to cut off your finger, if you binged and purged, I wasn't watching you all the time. I wasn't, you know, you didn't see me at all. But if you binge and perch, I would know. And I would come and cut off your finger. Would you be able to not binge and perch? And they say without a doubt, yes, 100%. And obviously that's savage as hell. And I would never, ever, ever do that. That's very extreme. But The purpose of the thought experiment is to get them to show them if it's important enough, they will stop. The threat, obviously they don't want to lose a finger. That's ridiculous to lose over binging and purging. The pain is immediate. The consequences are immediate. Therefore, they're able to stop. So it's never, ever a matter of you not being able to do it. It's a matter of you recognizing the urges earlier on and then having good coping tactics in the moment and then making the decision when you're thinking rationally to not binge and purge. And the way I do this with people is I usually try to help them understand how they binge the last time, what little triggers they missed earlier on where they could have stopped and then how they can work through that in the moment. We all make decisions to do stuff that we don't want to do every single day. I didn't want to get out of bed this morning, not because I was severely depressed. I was just comfy in bed and didn't want to get up, but I did because I had work that I had to do. I had emails I needed to send, clients I needed to work with, all those things. So I got up. And then after I made the decision, it was okay. Recovery is really a series of making decisions and feeling your feelings with that decision over and over and over again. Of course, I always tell people you need to take care of your basic needs first. Otherwise, you're pushing yourself to the brink of exhaustion and you're lowering lowering your mental capacity. Therefore, it's harder and harder for you to make the quote unquote right choice, but it's a decision all the same. It starts with you and your thoughts. You can in fact not binge, but it takes you having that level of awareness and then making an intentional plan in the moment and following through, but it's totally within your capability. And I hope if you take anything away from this podcast, that's it. So I didn't, I didn't really give advice to this person. I just kind of gave my thoughts on it. I suppose. What did other people say? Another person said eating throughout the day, not only at night and improving my sleep. Yes. Hard is what they said. Yeah. Eating. So I have come up with these pillars for recovery and my first pillar is always eating enough and eating consistently. And that becomes before any thought tactics or anything like that, like feeling your feelings and changing your belief patterns, because if you're not eating enough and you're not eating consistently, again, lowers your decision-making skills. It makes it really hard to make a clear decision, especially when you're ravenous and hungry. So definitely agree with this. Improving sleep, it's hard. Not everyone can sleep. I'm a great sleeper, but my boyfriend is not. For that, you know, do everything you can, like making sure you're shutting off blue light before you go to bed, maybe a few hours before getting some blue light glasses. If you struggle to sleep, lowering your caffeine content or taking it out altogether. Obviously seeking advice of a medical professional if you really, really struggle, struggle with insomnia, using melatonin or other supplements as long as it's okay you could have checked with a medical professional could be an option. And then in your keeping a sleep routine is also helpful. And then making sure your bedroom's cool, dark, some white noise, air ventilation, all those things, and not doing work or anything else in your bedroom, leaving your bedroom for sleep and sexy time is probably the best thing you can do. Okay. Anything else here that's worth saying before I move on to the next one? We got a lot of responses. People wanted to jump on the bandwagon with this one, which is cool. Ponty throughout the day. This person said a meal plan that doesn't cause nausea and pain. Absolutely. If what you're eating is causing you pain and nausea, you need to switch that up, making sure you're eating foods that you enjoy and that feel good to you. If you're not, then it's really not the point. Another person said, get rid of the scale. Yeah. So this can go either way, but I find a lot of most people more often than not are just better without the scale in the beginning. I have a scale in my apartment and I weigh myself probably once a week and again, you can take that for what you will. It's not super triggering for me anymore. It's good to just know what's going on, but a scale is just a number and it really isn't that relevant. It depends on who you are or whatever, but it's mainly not necessary for most people, especially in the beginning of recovery. I wasn't weighing myself in the beginning of my recovery either. And I'm glad that I didn't because I probably would have freaked the hell out with the weight gain and stuff like that. Where this scale can be beneficial is it keeps you out of drama because you know what's happening, but it can easily cause drama. I see people use the scale and be like, well, I'm lower today so I can eat more. Or I'm I'm higher today so I shouldn't eat more and then I'm going to binge and purge because I'm higher today, but I screwed up because I'm restricting and I'm binging and all this sort of stuff. So I'd recommend for most people general advice without ever talking to you. Don't have the scale. Don't do it. Unless you're really struggling to gain weight, then it can be helpful. But even then, Depends on the person. Obviously, if you're severely underweight, you or you know, you should probably see a doctor to get medically supervised to gain weight because it can be dangerous, obviously. But if you are struggling to gain weight and under-eating constantly, possibly having a scale could be helpful so that you can make sure you're actually gaining weight and you're not losing weight, you're not going back down. But I feel like a lot of people, they know when they're under eating and it's not so much a matter of keeping track of the scale, it's more so keeping track of their calories and holding themselves accountable for that. But most people probably best to just get rid of the scale. And if you are going to have a scale, always decide what you think of yourself before stepping on it. And that's something I practice to this day. I jump, if I get on the scale and it's not always consistent, but I will for sure decide what I think of my body before getting on there. I don't use the number to determine what I look like or how I feel about my body. It's just data points and keeping myself accountable to how I'm doing in my nutritional life. So take that for what you will. But I think, yeah, this person's onto it. Get rid of the scale. If it's bothering you, there's no need for it. This person said, this is the last one. They said something to help me calm down and fill the void. Oh my God. I thought it was 548. It was a screenshot. (laughs) Something to help me calm down and fill the void. Yeah. I love that. It's A lot of people, what they do is they're like, okay, I'm going to use the coping tactics. I'm just going to not binge. But then they kind of just sit on the couch and wait there and wait for the urge to go away. And they don't ever try to fill the void of them binging with anything else. And some people, they try to distract too much. They're like, I've I've done all these activities and I still want to binge. It's like, well, you're not allowing the urge to be there. You're not. Allowing yourself to process it and actually accept the fact that you have an urge, feel it and move forward even with that feeling. You're just waiting for it to go away So you continue your life, which is not going to work. It's like watching a pot. It'll never boil. But if you are never using any other thing and you're never replacing it with stuff, that's going to be hard. For example, in the beginning, like the first year before I recovered, I did a few things like making a sketch club and I went to a lot of meetup groups. I went and did more activities and met people. And also I probably relied on fitness more, like going to the gym and stuff like that. And my boyfriend hanging out with him. I had a lot of hobbies during that time to fill up my time. So I felt like it was expanding my life. It felt easier to leave bulimia behind when I had things to fall back on and things to do. It was busy. And then my business kind of became a replacement also for my eating disorder in a lot of ways, which, you know, maybe I've become slightly a workaholic. That's another thing. But I prefer this to an eating disorder any day. But yeah, you need something else in your life to fill the void. That's not to say that you should be constantly entertained, though. The caveats of this person's thing is people think if I had enough stuff to do, then I wouldn't binge and purge. That's not true either. Sometimes people overpack their schedules to the point where binging and purging becomes the only way that they can take a break. You also need to learn how to be alone with your thoughts and feelings, which is something I teach a lot in my program with my private clients. We just talk about feelings, what, they're actually, what actually a feeling is, how it feels in their body, how they can process it, how they can just be with it, how it's not too bad, and then making that a goal for their week till they feel more comfortable with it. You have to be able to feel your feelings and take a break, but don't expect yourself to just stare at a wall and do nothing for hours without binging either. Have a healthy balance. And also things that calm you down, many different things work for people. There's lots of different ways to cope. Physical activity is a good one, but it doesn't have to be going for a hardcore run. It can just be some push-ups. It can be moving around and dancing, wiggling your arms. Sometimes I do like, oh, like, Uh, not shouts because my neighbors would wonder what's wrong, but I'll kind of be like, "Ah," (sighs) like just to let out a big groan and somehow letting out the pressure from my body makes me feel better, kind of releases some sort of anxiety. So those away, way like you get physical, you can laugh, talk to a friend, see people, you can play video games, you can do some sort of kind of mindless numbing activity that isn't binging and purging, but also helpful. A lot of people, they like to just lie down for 15 minutes in a dark place, right? And just decompress. And that's what I did in the beginning quite a bit. And still, when I'm overly stressed, I will just go to my bedroom, close the door, turn on the fans, turn off the lights, crawl underneath my covers, and chill for a little bit with nothing, no input. And that sensory deprivation is pretty helpful. Music is a good one. Like There's so many different things. A good book, a nice walk. You have to find what works for you, but there are plenty of them out there. And don't dismiss them, but also don't expect them to feel like binging and purging. They're not going to be the same. And over time, though, if you give them a chance, they will feel good to you. You just... They're not like, especially if you, someone's used to heroin or something, of course, you know, taking a mental health walk is not going to be as intense. You can't expect that to be as intense, but if you keep relying on it, you will get used to it. Your system will regulate again and it will feel better. You know, you're kind of at a deficit at this point. If you're binging and purging, you have to give it time. Commit to using these coping skills for a set amount of time and then after maybe Fifteen days, thirty days. See how you feel, if, and if you want to continue, but give them a fair shot. A lot of people try it one time and it doesn't work in the first two minutes, and they're like, "This sucks. I'm done. This isn't right." You know, like binging and purging, better is better. It's like, well, you didn't, you didn't try. You didn't give it a chance. Like, be patient. All right, I'm gonna let you guys go. Don't forget that the pause retreat is happening August third through the seventh. If you're like What is the pause retreat? What the hell are you talking about? I'm doing a private luxury retreat in San Pancho, Mexico, August 3rd through the 7th. It's going to be super exciting. It's going to be very intimate. Someone asked me today, they're like, what's your vision for this retreat? It is a very interesting question. My vision for this retreat is that I want anyone who comes, it's only, it's limited to six people. So very small, very niche. Anyone that comes and including myself, I'm going to be there. I want people to feel safe and accepted, first and foremost, of they're in a place with people who understand who get it. And I also want them to leave the retreat having experienced recovery. Because during the retreat, we're going to have group meals together. We're going to have morning talks every single morning about certain pillars of recovery and what our top struggles are currently and how we're getting past them and what we need to do moving forward. I'll give advice. They'll be coaching. But then we'll be practicing what we talk about throughout the day. We're going to do some group excursions where you feel really grounded with food, processing your feelings and and really connecting to who you are and who you want to be. Just doing those things, actually not just talking about the tools of recovery, but you're actually living behavior-free, feeling safe, feeling more comfortable around food, actually eating the food, exposing yourself to those things. I want everyone who goes there to leave being like, I know I can recover I just did it for four days I just saw other people do it for four days and I'm not saying you'll be completely perfect on the retreat but you will know for sure without a doubt that it's possible after being through that experience and have hope and belief for yourself plus I told the people like I just want them to relax I mean it's not a corporate retreat it's very niche it's in the middle of nature and this this nice retreat center that's a little bit woo but very very nice I want people to take advantage of the amenities. Relax, rejuvenate, and I want to take them out of their current environment and rat race that they're in, so that they can get to clear-headed and understand what the triggers are back home. Think about them in a clear place, and then come back fully prepared, rejuvenated, and ready to go with tons of hope and momentum. I don't think I think anyone who's saying, "Oh, after this retreat, your your life will be completely perfect." That's BS. But I know anyone that comes is going to feel transformed. They're going to feel grounded and they're gonna know that it's possible for them and they're gonna know what to do in their lives when they when they come back. So that's my vision for the retreat. It's gonna be exciting. If you are interested in that, you can go to my website and click on pause retreat. It should be in the main menu and that will teach you more about that. Be there's payment plans available. It is an all-inclusive retreat. The only thing you'll have to pay for outside of the retreat is your tickets to the retreat, but the retreat will even give you airport transportation to and from the retreat center. Once you get there, you just need to find a flight tickets into the Cancun airport. But if you were interested, it goes to my website and there are payment plans available till July 7th. After that, we'll just be doing pay in full options. But I hope that if you're interested, even remotely, you'll go check it out and possibly join us. I'm really excited. I have a few people coming now, so it's 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 getting a little bit filled up, but it's supposed to be really private, really intimate. And I'm excited. I also think my life will be changed from it. Like, I don't know. It's been interesting because I've never done a retreat before, but I, I have done in-person events that weren't related to Bleem recovery I've just did like local meetings for business stuff and sketching and drawing so I've done I've done those sort of things but it'll be completely new to kind of be around people I've seen a few clients in person since being a coach and stuff like that but actually talking whenever I talk to them in person and stuff it's a different feel like it just feels deeply connected you you realize there's another living human being that's going through this I'm not alone and you leave with hope So I'm excited for it. And I think getting out of the environment we're all in is good every once in a while. It's a nice pause, reprieve. And yeah, is there anything else I want to say about that? No, I'm just super biased and I think you should come and I think it's going to be amazing. So that's all I have to say about that. If you want to join, go check out my website there. Otherwise, I'll let you guys go. I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful weekend and you take care of yourselves. And I feel like I'm coming out of a burnout phase finally. So if you're in a burnout phase or you're in a tiring phase, just give yourself lots of rest. You just need to slow down a little bit and eventually get better. And if it's not getting better, go see a doctor. Something could be wrong. Maybe your hormones are a bit off. Maybe you're not getting enough nutrients. Maybe there's some like life-threatening mold somewhere that's affecting you. I don't know. But you go see a doctor. It's not normal to feel tired, out, fatigued, and apathetic all the time. Okay? Just letting you know that right now. little check. Oh, and lastly, oh my God, I always do this in the podcast. I'm always like, I'll let you guys go and then I have five more things. But thank you so much for all of you guys that sent me messages about, about last week's podcast episode about the alcohol. I felt a lot of shame in posting that and I was very nervous about it because it felt, oh, this is another example of me being out of control, what's wrong with me? But I knew people needed to hear it, I knew I wasn't the only one, so I figured it was worthwhile posting, especially, it seems like my vulnerable posts are always the best posts because I'm very honest, you know, when people can relate and they, that's what is going through people's lives, they just don't say it but I want to thank you. It does help. You know, it's always hard putting yourself out into the world. So I appreciate that. And if you haven't listened to it, it's about my journey with alcohol and being sober curious. So give it a listen if you're struggling with alcohol or you're just curious and want to know what sort of shenanigans I've been up to over the past year. All right, letting you guys go. I'm serious this time. Have a good weekend. Never give up on yourselves. Bye.